the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things, put them in your brain. Hello, funky listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Funk Radio. We're doing another five-minute funk because we forgot to do a full episode over the weekend because we just had so much fun. That's true. By the way, I'm Kyle. And I'm Peter. What we wanted to talk about for this episode is the significance, and I guess now more so the insignificance, of the evolution of the concept of the B-side and its eventual decline, really. Yeah. I mean, I think at the beginning, when the idea of a single record was coming into play, the A-side and B-side was basically just for practicality reasons, because why only write music to one side of the disc? I mean, you might as well do both sides. And so there was not really any distinction between the two sides. But as time went on, there started to be this shift in what the difference was between the A-side and the B-side, because what, what music producers started doing was that they would have the more popular of the two songs, which is quote-unquote the A-side, that the producer feels could be a really big hit. So when they make these double-sided singles, the quote-unquote A-side is the song that they figure will become very popular. But since they have a B-side to work with, there, there's actually a number of different things they will do with that second side, which is kind of what I find interesting. One example is artists like Elvis Presley or the Beatles. They would put a song on the B-side that they would consider just as good as the A-side. So since there's two songs with more or less the formula of becoming a hit, there's basically double the chance of at least one of those becoming popular on the radio. And in some cases, both became popular, which is pretty cool. I guess, as Peter was saying, since their inception, B-sides were released um, on the same record to kind of provide that whole extra value for the money thing. Because, you know, you get two songs for the price of one. Yay! Yeah. I guess it was actually common also in the 60s and 70s uh, for longer songs by soul, funk, and R&B acts to be broken into two parts yeah. for their single release. For an example, The Isley Brothers' Shout, parts one and two, and um, a number of the records by James Brown, including Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. Mm-hmm. But yeah, basically because soul songs, especially in the 60s and 70s, could be very long, they obviously didn't have enough track space on the one side of a 45 to record the whole thing. Right. So they would break it up. And I think typically one side is, what would you say, maybe like three and a half, four minutes or so? Roughly, yeah. Roughly, so... And a lot of the, especially like the mid to late 70s, you would have a lot of longer songs. So like you said, they have to split it into two parts. Even now, when you listen to like an MP3 version of it, you can usually feel at least a little bit of a transition between those because on the record, literally you would, you would reach the end of the first side and then flip it over. Sometimes it's pretty smooth transition, um, but other times it's almost like it's shifting to an, another, like a different song with the same kind of sound. So that's kind of interesting. Eventually, they came out with the 12-inch single in the late 70s, so that kind of negated the need to put one long song on two sides when they can just put it all on one side of a 12-inch. I think I actually have a couple of 12-inch singles, but I also have a good amount of 45s. Mm. There's also obviously those rare occasions where the B-side release becomes more popular than the Mm A-side, and this often happened, happened a lot in like soul, funk, and disco. For example, the b-side of gloria gaynor's substitute was i will survive which is arguably her most famous song yeah um i'll be around by the spinners was the b-side to how can i let you get that way maggie may was the b-side to reason it to believe for rod stewart mm-hmm. but it's, it's just interesting how the b-side is utilized in so many different ways it's either you know inexplicably the more popular of the two mm-hmm. it's used because of long songs or it's just some other song that they haven't recorded that they throw in there 
you know, so people can get their money's worth, supposedly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's, that's a good selling point, is that not only do you get this song that's popular, or potentially anyway, but you get a second song as well, so more bang for your buck. Exactly. Um, one more thing that I wanted to mention that I found pretty interesting was that um, the famous music producer Phil Spector was pretty notorious for purposely recording what you could call throwaway songs on the B-side. Because, I mean, most people, obviously, they, they intend for one side to be the A-side. But he intended that so much that he purposely made the B-side so bad or, like, not formulaic in the popular sense that the radio stations would have no choice but to play the A-side because the, the B-side was, like, not in that what same you, way. Just like, just, like, fart into a microphone and, like, record it onto vinyl? Or? Um, I'm not going to say that he did, but I'm not going to say that he didn't. <laughs> but sometimes they would kind of just be impro- improvised or like instrumental music but stuff that you wouldn't really peg to like a or you know radio play really so i, I guess that's one way to manipulate the system is to Kinda. purposely make one so much better than the other yeah but like we were saying at the beginning too sometimes they would do the opposite where they would have two songs that were equally as good yeah and that system i guess it's called the double a side Sadly, I guess with the B-side, it kind of went the way of the dinosaur, because as we went from vinyl to CD, CDs only have one side. Plus, you don't really have singles on CDs either. Exactly. The term B-side kind of devolved with the decline of vinyl, mm-hmm. but it's interesting to see its kind of importance in the music industry since you know the 30s and 40s, really. Yeah. In a way, you could say that that kind of changed the history of how popular songs were chosen. And it kind of defined how some became really popular and some were kind of forgotten Exactly. Uh, because of that. So that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. We learned something today. We hoped you learned something, too, in the garden of your mind. That's always the goal. If you liked our show, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. And you, say blah, blah, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for Funk Radio under podcasts. We should be pretty easy to find. We're the first one. Because we're the only podcast on iTunes about funk. (laughs) Pretty much. Which is saying a lot. (laughs) Yes, this has also been Kyle. I'm not Peter. And I'm Peter. I'm not Kyle. Stay tuned for more learning opportunities with Funk Radio. (laughs) Good night. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.